This, this service, you guys have probably already eaten Easter uh, breakfast and lunch. Hope you left some for us. Uh, how about the worship team? Man, they've been here all morning, and they've been doing a fantastic job. I want to, I want to start us this morning by just reading uh, from Matthew 28 uh, the significance of Resurrection Sunday, why it is that we're here. It says this, Now, after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb, and behold, there was a great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said, To the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He is risen, just as he said. Come see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before them to Galilee. That is why churches the world over this morning gathered to triumphantly declare he is risen. He's not laying in the tomb any longer, that unlike the leader of any other major world religion who died and stayed dead, Jesus died and triumphantly rose again. And so this morning, we're going to spend some time unpacking exactly what that means for us. If you're visiting this morning, uh, I kind of want to give you just a real quick catch-up to what we've been doing as a church over the course of this year. We've been reading the Bible together. That sounds like something that a church would do. Uh, But we've been doing it in a very intentional fashion. We've put together a a group of resources and a reading plan that's a chapter or two of reading every day. And we're reading the large story or narrative portions of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. And we just finished the book of Joshua. And what we're seeing as we do that is that the Bible is this unified story from beginning to end. Genesis to Revelation. It's the story of God doing the work to redeem humanity or save humanity from their sin. And that begins in Genesis when he creates everything. It culminates or comes to its high point in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, which we're here to celebrate and talk about this morning. And then it's going to come to a final end when Jesus returns a second time. And we actually... Uh, began walking through this, not in Genesis, our very first week. We started in Psalm 119, which is the longest chapter in the Bible. It's a, a poem, a song, it's a prayer about a love for the Word of God. More specifically, it's a song or a prayer, it's a, a poem about a love for the subject, the topic of the Word of God, which is God Himself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. There are a couple of verses in Psalm 119 that over the last uh, three and a half months have become prayers for me. As I come uh, to read every week along with our reading plan, I always pray Psalm 119 verse 18. It says this, Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. Your law, that word, the law, that's how Scripture often refers to itself, particularly refers to the beginning portion of the Old Testament, which is what we've read up to this point. Often you'll see it, law or statutes, your commands, your decrees. It's just talking about the Word of God. And so I want us to begin this morning by 
praying that the Lord would open our eyes to behold wondrous things out of Scripture. More specifically, that we would behold the most wondrous thing in all of Scripture, and that's the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the opportunity to gather and to worship you. Thank you for your son, his work on the cross, his triumph on the third day when he rose and walked out of the tomb. God, our prayer this morning is that you would open the eyes of our hearts that we would behold the most wondrous thing, not just the most wondrous thing in Scripture, but the most wondrous thing in all of human history, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Lord, would you open our eyes to see that clearly? Would you open our hearts to behold it, Lord? And would you work in us so that it changes us from this point forward? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. There's a second uh, verse in Psalm 119 that uh, I've been um, kind of reflecting on frequently over the last few months. And it's Psalm 119, verse 68. It says this, You are good and do good. The truth about who God is is that His character defines all that He does. He is good all the time, which means that He does good all the time. And all the good that God does flows from the good that God is. All the good that He does flows from the good that He is. And we see that goodness in Scripture. From beginning to end, Genesis to Revelation, the goodness of God in His character, the goodness of God in His activity just jumps off the page. In fact, you could open up your Bible to any point and begin to read and you would see some picture of the goodness of God, the goodness of His character and the goodness of the things that He has done. We see the goodness of the Lord in our own personal experiences, that He is good and that He does good. You may be here this morning and you're not a Christian. You've not placed your faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sin. In fact, you may be here this morning, and it's not only that you're not a Christian, but you would articulate a vocal stance of disbelief in the Lord. I want to communicate a couple of things to you this morning. No matter how, uh, whether it was internally or externally, no matter how much kicking and screaming you did, not wanting to come to church this morning, I want to articulate that we're really glad that you're here. And we would be really glad to have you here on a week-in and week-out basis. The second thing I want to articulate is that your lack of belief or your disbelief does not change the truth. The fact that you don't believe that God exists does not change the fact that He does, and the fact that maybe you believe that Jesus Christ was not who He said He was doesn't change the fact that He is. I could choose not to believe in the Son, that it's just not there, but it wouldn't change the reality that it provides all the heat to the earth. You can choose not to believe in God, but that doesn't change the fact that all goodness both begins, culminates, and ends because of Him and through Him. So this morning, what I want to do is I want to talk about two of the greatest goods in my life, both directly from the Lord, both an outflow of the goodness of His character. I want to start with the second one. And here's the link between the two. The commonality between both of these good things is that they both happened without me doing anything, and they both happened without me knowing it. So beginning with the second one, it took place in August of 1987. I was eight days shy of being two years old. Uh, I 
was probably doing what most uh, two-year-old little boys do, toddler boys, which is like building stacks of blocks and knocking them over immediately and thinking it's the most wonderful thing in the entire world or smearing food on my face. I mean, that's what toddler boys do, right? And just down the road, eight days before my second birthday at St. Joseph's Hospital at about 7 a.m. in the morning, my wife was born. That's the second greatest good that's ever happened in my life. And it would be 20 years before that good intersected with my life. And yet the reality is that it has, in that moment, that good from the Lord came in to the world and it would change my life radically one day. And so once a year on August 21st, Melody's birthday, I thank the Lord for his goodness to me in bringing her into this world and into my life. But I don't only thank the Lord for her on August 21st. It's not that I only think to myself, gosh, uh, Melody is only worth celebrating on her birthday or her life would only be worth remembering on, uh, upon her death. It's because she's infinitely more valuable than that. She's infinitely worth more than that. She is far more valuable to me than one day a year worth of recognition. I'm thankful for and celebrate her on a daily basis because the goodness of the Lord to me in her birth and in bringing her into my life is worth celebrating on a daily basis. Sometimes in our personal lives and in our personal experiences, we see something come into our life and we recognize the goodness of the Lord in it immediately. If you've ever had a child and you held that baby in your arms for the very first time, you saw and knew the goodness of the Lord immediately. No one had to explain it to you. You just held that baby and you knew. If you recently graduated college or you recently made a career change and you received a phone call that that job that you were hoping for uh, was going to be yours, you knew goodness in the moment. You maybe recognize that that goodness was directly from the Lord. We see and know the goodness of God in sunrises and sunsets. We see it and we know it in quality time with family and friends. We see it and know it in the blessing of a crisis averted or nearly missed. We see it and we know it when the doctor tells us that something doesn't look quite right and then we get the rest of the scans and come to find out that everything is going to be fine. We see and we know the goodness of the Lord immediately. There are other times where it takes us years and years to see and know God's goodness. You might be here this morning in the midst of a very challenging set of life circumstances, and it would be hard for you in any sort of honest or realistic way to say that the Lord is good and is doing good to you in the midst of that. But I think we can all agree that even in our most challenging experiences, when we get five or ten years down the road and we look backward at those things, we reflect upon them, we can absolutely testify to the goodness of the Lord both in his character, and in that particular event. We also see God's goodness throughout Scripture. If you've been with us and reading along throughout the year, you'll remember some of these moments I'm about to recount. If you haven't been here or uh, you haven't been reading along with us, but you kind of have a general idea about the story of the Bible, some of these will sound familiar to you too. 
We see God's goodness in his character and in his action in creation. He didn't have to create. He wasn't lacking something in and of himself, and so he created in order to fulfill some need for himself. He created because he loves us. He created because he is good and he does good. He sustains life because he is good and he does good. We see that God is good and does good in the fact that even though he told Adam and Eve that eating the fruit from the tree of life would certainly, or the the tree of the knowledge of good and evil would certainly lead to death, that despite their sin, he spares human life. And he longs to live in relationship with humanity despite the presence of our sin. We see that God is good and does good when he tells Abraham that in his old age he's going to have a son and then he provides him with one. We see that God is good and does good and that he makes a covenant or promise with Abraham that his descendants will be this mighty nation and have a land and will be a blessing to all the nations of the earth. We see that God is good and that he does good in his presence with Joseph when he's sold into slavery and ends up in Egypt. We see that God is good and does good when he saves the Israelites from slavery. We see that God is good and that he does good as he leads the Israelite people through the wilderness for 40 years despite their constant grumbling and complaining. We see that God is good and that he does good when he delivers them the promised land that he made a covenant promise to give them. Those are just the tip of the iceberg. Those are just some of the visible pictures of God's goodness that we get in the first five books of the Bible, Genesis to Joshua. Pictures of that same goodness leap off the pages at us from beginning to end. And in each case, the good that God does flows directly out of the good that God is. And the greatest display of God's goodness comes in His greatest act of good. And that's wrapped up in the person, in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. There's a six-verse passage in the book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 12. It's a statement made hundreds of years before Jesus would ever come on to the earth, and yet it's a prophecy. It's a, a foretelling of what the Messiah would come and do, the Savior would come and do. And when God prophesies something, it will certainly come to pass. And this passage did, and it contains the first greatest good in my life. It says this, Isaiah 12, 1 and 2, You will say in that day, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, for though you were angry with me, your anger turned away that you might comfort me. Behold, God is my salvation, and I will trust and will not be afraid. For the Lord my God is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. Wrapped up in those two verses are the good news of the gospel, the good news of Easter Sunday. You see, the Bible speaks to the reality that all of humanity is born deeply broken. We're born faulty to our core. That all of our thoughts and all of our actions, all of our motivations and attitudes are marked by this brokenness of sin. All the systems we set up in the world around us are marked by the same presence of that sin. And the Bible also tells us that conversely, God is totally perfect. He's what the Bible says or describes as holy. He's other. He's something totally different than we are. And in his perfection and in his holiness, he can have nothing to do with something marked by sin. Something sinful cannot exist in the presence of God. And so because of that, we are all destined for an eternity apart from him. What we need, each of us, 
is the removal or forgiveness of our sins so that we might exist in the presence of God for eternity, just as He intended. And just like the goodness of Melody came into my life without me doing anything and without me knowing it, the goodness of God in the person of Jesus Christ came into this world without us doing anything and long before we possibly could have known about it. You see, forgiveness for sin came into the world in the person of Jesus Christ. We celebrate that at Christmas. The New Testament tells us that in the fullness of time, God put on flesh and made his dwelling among us. That's the incarnation. We celebrate that. We make a big deal out of that every year at Christmas. You see, Jesus, the Son of God, is the only human to have ever lived a perfectly sinless life. He's the only human to ever live who, by their own thoughts, attitudes, and behaviors, would merit an eternity in the presence of the Lord because he was completely without sin. And yet, after a life of obeying God fully, and healing the sick, and serving the poor, and loving the unlovable, and preaching the kingdom of God to all of humanity, he received the punishment for sin that the rest of us deserved. In fact, the New Testament tells us that he became sin who knew no sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. And so on the Friday before Easter, Jesus was put to death by means of crucifixion. He was hung on a cross. We celebrate that at Good Friday. Whereas Christmas, we talk about the incarnation, God becoming man. At Good Friday, we talk about substitution. That Jesus, though having no sin within him, took on the sin of all humanity upon himself on the cross. And in that moment, all the weight of all the sin of all of the world from all time was placed upon his shoulders. And he bore it on our behalf. And as he died, he cried out, it is finished. Not just his life was finished, but the work required to pay the penalty for sin was finished. It was finished for all who would place their faith in him. And then on a few hours later, his body's taken down from the cross. He's placed in a tomb. And on the third day, something miraculous happened. Something that we're here to celebrate this morning. On the third day, Jesus arose. Resurrected. And the sin that was laid on his shoulders while they hung on the cross was trampled under his feet and defeated as he walked out of the tomb. And the good news of the gospel is not just that Jesus was born, though that's certainly good news. It's not just that Jesus was hung on the cross, though that also was necessary and is good news. The good news of the gospel is that Jesus, by his resurrection, defeated both the power and the penalty of sin. It's not just that he took the sin of the world upon himself. It's that he took it upon himself. He absorbed it in our place. And then he defeated the power of it when he resurrected out of the grave. That is the greatest good that God has ever done. That is the greatest display of the goodness of God's character. It's the greatest single act of good that the human world has ever known. And maybe you didn't know that this morning. Or maybe you knew of it intellectually, but you do not know of it in your heart. You see, the reality is you could not do anything to possibly deserve that act. You could not do enough good things to merit Jesus doing that on your behalf. You could not live a life good enough 
to earn right standing before the Lord in and of yourself. And so instead, Jesus bore the penalty of your sin so that you wouldn't have to strive to be good any longer, but instead could trust in his goodness on your behalf. I lived 16 years of my life and had no idea that this was the greatest good that had ever happened to me, but it was. It's the greatest good that's ever happened to you. It's the greatest good that's ever happened to all of humanity. You see, I could read verses 1 and 2 of Isaiah chapter 12 very personally. And I will say, I give thanks to you, O Lord, for though you were angry with me, your anger turned away and you have comforted me. Behold, God is my salvation and I will trust and will not be afraid. For the Lord, God, is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. The greatest display of God's goodness is the giving of Jesus on our behalf. That is why we can read Verse 3, with such joy, it says this, With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. What does that mean, to draw water from the well of salvation? It means this. If you're here this morning and you've not placed your faith in Jesus Christ, it means you can come to the Son on the cross, you can come to the empty tomb and find a life-changing, eternity-altering, soul-quenching water for your soul. You can draw that from the well of God's grace for you. And unless you do so, you will spend the rest of your life trying to solve the problem of your soul's longings with water that's not meant to satisfy. You'll continue to go back to wells that feel good for a moment, but ultimately leave you feeling dry and empty and still thirsty. Or you can come to Jesus Christ, a crucified and risen Savior, and you can take a drink of water that will satisfy your soul forever not just for the rest of your earthly life, but will satisfy your soul eternally. If you've already placed your faith in Jesus Christ, with joy you can draw water from the well of salvation every day. You can drink deeply of His grace for you every morning because it will not ever run out. In either situation, that is a joyful, joyful act. Read Isaiah 12, verses 4 through 6. This is the reason why we as a church are here this morning. It's the reason why we're going to be here next Sunday as well. It says this, And you will say in that day, Give thanks to the Lord. Call upon His name. Make known His deeds among the peoples. Proclaim that His name is exalted. Sing praises to the Lord, for He has done gloriously. Let it be known in all the earth. Shout, for great in your midst is the Holy One, of Israel. When you walked in here this morning, you didn't ask me to tell you about Melody. But when she came in my life, into my life, everything changed for me. And so I can't help but tell you about her. I can't help but talk about her sometimes. When you came in here this morning, you didn't necessarily ask for me to tell you about Jesus, but you're sitting there and I'm up here with a microphone so I can tell you about whatever I want to. And I can't help but talk about Jesus. If you've taken a deep, joyful drink from the well of salvation, you cannot help but talk about it. You can't help but make known His deeds. You can't help but sing praises to Him about it. You can't help but want to share it with all the peoples of all the earth. And we can't help as a church but to make Him great in our midst. And the beauty of the reality of Easter, the beauty of the reality of the resurrection is that it is the exact same tomorrow as it is today. If you were here on Good Friday, we talked about living in this 
tension between the difficulty of Good Friday, the horror of that act of Jesus' crucifixion, and yet the glory of Resurrection Sunday. You see, we make a big deal out of both of those every Sunday because Jesus did that for us before we could have done anything for ourselves, before we even knew about it. And then when we've come into contact with that in our life, it has changed everything. And so we make a big deal out of it every Sunday. We come as a church and take a big gulp from the well of salvation every Sunday. We make Jesus great in our midst every Sunday. We celebrate that God is good and does good every Sunday. We want you to know that you can come and join with us in that every week. Not just two times a year, once to celebrate Jesus' birth and once to celebrate His death. When we beheld the beauty of Jesus Christ, both crucified and resurrected, it changed everything for us. And we can't help but proclaim it. I don't talk about Melody once a year on her birthday. I won't just celebrate her life upon her death. She's infinitely more valuable to me than that. And we don't celebrate Jesus, his life, death, and resurrection one time a year. He is infinitely more valuable than that. The goodness of God we celebrate on Easter is the goodness of God that we should celebrate every day. So what do we do with this? Well, if you're here this morning and you've not ever placed your faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sin, I want to be very clear about what that looks like. God is good, and He has done good. He's done the greatest good to you that anyone in all of history ever possibly could, and that's that He gave His Son for you. But the everlasting life that's available through Him isn't just given to all of humanity upon their death. It requires something of us. It requires an acknowledgement of the fact that we are sinful and broken. It requires looking to the Savior, crucified and risen, as the only means by which your sin can be forgiven and the only means by which you could possibly be saved. You can do that here this morning by finding one of our staff members and coming and talking to us, or maybe by talking to the person who drug you here this morning and said, we're going to church today. That person might know something about what it means to place faith in Jesus Christ and to be saved. If you've already done that, it means that you should spend your life proclaiming His goodness. You should spend your life making known that God is good and He does good and that He's done His greatest good in the person and work of Jesus Christ. We should spend our lives making Jesus very great in our midst, both in our words and in our actions, in the way that we conduct ourselves both inside this building and far, far beyond it. And so this morning, we're going to end our time together uh, in some worship, in singing. I'm going to invite the band to come back up. The first song that we're going to sing talks about the beautiful, wonderful, powerful name of Jesus. It talks about what we're celebrating this morning. The death could not hold him. The veil tore before him. He shattered the boast of sin in the grave. That he has no rival and no equal. That He is the only name by which we can be saved. And so we want to stand up and declare the goodness of God and the giving of Jesus Christ on our behalf. We want to declare that He is the only means by which we can be saved. Will you stand and sing with us?